0: Hello everyone, it's April 20th, 2021, so the big news this week that we probably weren't meant to hear until next week is the HLS down selection. And as I'm sure you know by now, SpaceX was chosen over the national team and Dynetics. Well, we got a lot to talk about. It's a big show, so let's get going and liftoff. And we've cleared the tower. Welcome to episode 305 of the Orbital Mechanics Podcast. I'm David. I'm Ben. And I'm Dennis. All right, so we're all back.
1: Yay.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's been a while. You've
0: recovered from from your vaccine.
1: Yeah. You feel yeah. Good? Yeah. It's it's weird because like it wasn't that bad, but I I'm such a wimp. Like my my tolerance for pain is so low that you know I only get a, a cold or a flu once every couple of years. Like really every couple of years, and I just mm-hmm. I just turn into a big baby. Like mm-hmm. I I know that that the pain and discomfort isn't that bad, but like I just I, I become helpless. It's like you know my, my tolerance just plummets, so
0: i mean it's I mean it's understandable. I, I kind of feel that yeah, I mean for me it's about the same like I get sick of me like once a year or so, you know, like if that mm-hmm. just for a day it sucks, and it's like I don't want to do any you know like you just yeah. you just feel like crap
1: but i i mostly I mostly point it out because like you should still get the vaccine <laughs>
0: like oh. it's not oh, that yeah.
1: bad, and you know your employer will probably give you a day or two off of work if you ask for it so.
0: The HLS down selection has happened (laughs) Um, and they, and Starship was chosen. Uh, So I guess first shock. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So I was going to say like first, like (laughs) hot takes, like, were you surprised or not? I actually kind of was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, I wanted to talk to you guys about this. Like before we get into the actual details, like just, can you take me back to when you first saw this this week? Like what, what was your reaction? and. David, you you kind of asked that, and I rephrased it, so I can I can go first. I I was absolutely incredulous. I I was like, okay, well, I guess HLS is over then. Um, like, I mean, super dramatic, and we'll, we'll talk more about this. But like, I I was blown away. What what you guys think?
0: Well, I don't know about blown away, but I w- I was surprised. Um, I really didn't see it coming. But uh, you know, but then you know, as soon as you find out, you watch the videos, you read the articles, and then the more I read and, you know, like the more I take in, the more I'm kind of like convinced, you know, and kind of like one over to the other side. Like, okay, like, I guess it wasn't that crazy of a decision. It still surprised me. But there's some stuff that we're going to discuss in this segment that actually is a good case for why they chose SpaceX, actually. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, and as far as initial impressions, for me, uh, definitely surprise. And I'll admit, I hated it. Hmm. I initially really hated the decision. I even jumped into Discord to chat. And after, you know hearing from some of our patrons in the discord and then you know reading up on it my initial condition i'm, I'm much more comfortable with it now <laughs> i was yeah. originally though kind of horrified that this had happened like i was genuinely upset because i was concerned i should say is what made me upset i was concerned like you joked you, you mentioned that you know you thought you know hls is toast i was just like this really does put hls you know i mean i could definitely see it just totally imploding uh, based on this, but not, or at least that was my initial impression.
0: I guess the good news is that they, because like the worst fear would be that they picked the national team because I really mm-hmm. didn't like that idea. There was a, a little bit of a cynical part of me that thought that that's what would happen. You know, it's was like, oh, of course that's going to be, you know, but that didn't happen. So this is, you know, yeah. not the best, not the worst news.
1: Our predictions, I think we were all pretty unanimous in, in our predictions. We said it's probably going to be the national team. We really want it to be Dynetics, and SpaceX has no chance. Yeah. Um, and and boy, I mean, like after reading the the announcement, like the um, the actual decisions, yeah, we were we were totally wrong.
2: Yeah, I got exactly um, exactly reversed. I was thinking Dynetics, yeah. oh, and okay. since they wanted to, I was thinking Dynetics and the national team, and then. Sure enough, it went the exact opposite. (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, And then one other thing before we start getting into the details, Artemis had already um, really been pushing the idea that uh, Artemis was going to fly the first woman to the moon. And and that's really cool. Uh, The uh, selection statement document reconfirms the first woman on the moon, but it also includes the first person of color. And I think that's a pretty cool um, commitment because this is a pretty solid you know, this isn't a, a widely publicized document, but this is like an official, mm-hmm. heavyweight document, and it and it says the first woman, the first person of color on the moon, and uh, that's that's a pretty cool thing to see out of NASA. I like that. They mm-hmm.
2: yeah, got they got a good astronaut corps coming up, the Art us kind of crew. Yeah. So yeah. Uh,
1: okay. Uh, so our first big bullet point is money.
2: So NASA had you know alluded to down selecting to two uh, of the three finalists, right? Dynetics, Blue Origin, and Uh, SpaceX. And so, you know, they really wanted that to happen. And I, you know, when I made my picks, I was considering that to happen. Unfortunately, they did not have the funds for two selections. And (laughs) one of the jaw dropping statements in there was when um, uh, Kathy Leaders, uh, who was the uh, source selection administrator, I believe is the name of that title, she was the person who kind of signed that document.
1: SSA. And I, I kept reading SSA and I couldn't, I assumed it was administrator. But for some reason, my brain kept popping it to adjudicator.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That'll be our own internal acronym for it. <laughs> Source selection authority. Authority. Thank you. So neither uh, administrator nor adjudicator, but rather the authority. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. So, uh, uh, but yeah, but this one uh, line in there was, you know, that they uh, evidently did not have the funds for even a single contractor. Uh, option a contractor and so evidently they they went into talks with spacex a few you know actually i'm not sure exactly how long ago it was a few weeks ago i believe it was at the beginning of the month uh you know asked them you know basically if they would you know revise their bid at all and they kind of came back with the same overall pricing and then they were kind of like well we're going to pick somebody and so uh you know I guess we could only pick one, even though we didn't have the money technically for this uh, budget, because I believe they got only 25 percent of what they had asked in the previous uh, allocation for HLS. They wanted a few billion and they got uh, something like 800 million. And so, yeah, that uh, talk about, you know, so that's that was another thing, too, I want to say, like, you know, with my impression that, you know, I hated it and everything at the end of the day, I realized even if I was worried and concerned about it, that doesn't mean it was the wrong decision that was made. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This this was a, a big picture that you had to look at here. And so uh, I, I definitely have come around and given them more credit for that.
1: So uh, Dennis talked a little bit about how they wanted to select two option A contractors. And uh, one of the things that this uh, selection uh, statement uh, kind of reiterates is the idea that um, this, re- this request for proposals, I don't think that's uh, actually, uh, the, the right category term, but they, they did the selection as a broad agency announcement, a BAA. And the way that, uh, broad agency announcement, uh, rules, uh, work is that, um, they, uh, they they result in individual merit analysis of the of the contractors that put forth proposals, um, individual merit as opposed to comparative analysis, um, and so um, you know you can have comparative analytical uh, contract types, which I, I think RFPs might be comparative. I I don't. I don't know all the, the definitional details here, so forgive me. Um, but, but, you know, other types of, of contractor selections are geared towards picking the one, the best, the only, and a BAA is more flexible and allows you to pick all of the options that work, Hmm. uh, that, that you can afford. (laughs) And so, um, that's the philosophy they were they were bringing into uh what turned out to be a single selection uh but they really wanted it to be a multiple selection I and mean, that was kind of the way that they were treating this from the beginning and that's certainly been the way that their language has uh ha- has headed uh in the past so so like Dennis said they they didn't have uh funding to, to do what they wanted and, and I just wanted to read a quick quote here they uh, they decided to quote open price negotiations with the option A offerer that is both highly rated from a technical and management perspective and also had by a wide margin the lowest initially proposed price that's SpaceX and wow. it's really crazy like after reading this document yeah they NASA truly believes that SpaceX's, uh, offer was the highest, what was the best from a technical and management perspective. And then they, they also had the lowest, uh, price and and that's from the very beginning. They had the lowest price. Uh, it wasn't enough to, for, for NASA to afford at this juncture. So what they did was, uh, they opened these negotiations and, um, it's interesting. They, they, Weren't allowed to change the the technical or management aspects. They weren't that you know the original proposal couldn't change those. Uh, they couldn't de scope. Uh, different aspects of the mission. But what they could do is allow the contractor to update their price and and payment milestones. And so it sounds like they basically told SpaceX what they could afford. SpaceX copied and pasted into their proposal and returned it. Um, SpaceX didn't propose an overall price reduction, um, but met the the move the milestones the quote is uh uh the the quote from the document is they moved milestone payment phasing in a way that quote met the current budget okay. <laughs> um so it, it's interesting they they couldn't afford everything the way that it was originally proposed but if you can give us a little bit of of uh slack room here we'll we'll be able to pay you uh tuesday for a moon rocket today and before we get out of uh, of this segment i also wanted to point out that uh blue origin during their original proposal they actually did a little bit of negotiation then as well, um, which resulted in them uh, bumping down their original price bid by more than $300 million. And, and so, like, you know, ev- everybody kind of worked here, um, but SpaceX still had, in, in the final dollar figure, still had everybody else beat by a wide margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind kind yeah. of an interesting dynamic that I, I think we probably could have predicted just given the fact that SpaceX was going to be doing this mission anyway. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, right. You know, um,
1: but, but... They it's... got the
2: smallest award, for example. Yeah, they, they've consistently been kind of at the low price end compared to the yeah. other competitors. And the language was, it was, you know, they gave a dollar amount for SpaceX, right? The $2.9 billion. And then for Blue Origin, it was significantly higher mm-hmm. than... SpaceX's bid, and then or price, and then Dynetics was significantly higher again than Blue Origin's. So significantly, significantly higher if you just do the math. Yeah. I guess. And so, and uh, yeah, and and I thought it was interesting too that um, buried in there uh, was that they, you know, Blue Origin's bid was evidently uh, ineligible. So that mm-hmm. if if NASA did want to work with them, they would have to, though, officially reopen negotiations because Blue Origin's proposal included uh, uh, some advance payments. Uh, in a couple instances and so that's ineligible under this type of uh, award and so they uh, but they were like you know we're we're just we're not choosing to move forward with them anyway so it's kind of a moot point but uh even so they kind of just wanted to highlight that they would have negotiated with them had they given the best yeah. kind of proposal yeah
1: and, and we're, we're mostly going to be talking about uh spacex in this uh segment uh, and we will So far, the way that our notes are built, we're going to be referring to Blue Origin and Dynetics analysis in the document uh, as it is good to compare to SpaceX. But one thing that is in the chat right now, uh, Ben Hallert points out that Blue Origin and Dynetics both submitted proposals that as submitted... Um, were non starters um for for different reasons that I think we'll we'll wind up talking about, but they they both basically were unacceptable proposals and so uh, our expectations were just so subverted even even though we had you know slightly different expectations <laughs> between the three of us, like uh NASA really really, really liked. SpaceX's proposal mm-hmm. uh, a, a lot. Yeah,
0: and I guess we can get into why that was. But um, I just want to say, I, I didn't realize how much more uh, the national team and, you know, Dynetics were asking. Um, that actually was not at the front of my mind. But, you know, just given that fact, I can kind of see why they went the direction that they did. Plus, you know, SpaceX has certainly costs. Will increase. You have to take that into consideration, but it seems to be that SpaceX tends to do the best, and you know, as far as keeping mm-hmm. costs down. Uh-huh. So I, I think if you look at something that's already you know three times as expensive or whatever, you know that it's going to be even more so. And so it seems like it's at the very least it's the best financial move to make. Um, I, I don't know about the rest of it. You know, we'll talk about that.
1: Uh, and boy, one one more thing before we get into the the technicalities, there there was some fun drama this week. Um, Eric Berger, uh, broke the story. Uh, As he is wont to do, Um, and boy, every time Eric Berger uh, says something crazy, it's really fun to watch the feathers fly. Because, and I'm not sure what my opinion is. It's it's kind of funny because like I, I hear things that convince me on both sides. And I just, I, I have a really hard time forming a hard opinion on this guy. Um, but you know, we, we love him on the show cause he often gets things right in a, in a crazy way. And so every time he says something crazy, people are like, well, he's been wrong in the past and he's not always right. And people make broad assertions about his track record, um, that, as far as I've seen, I've been totally unsubstantiated. Nobody, nobody's ever like done an analysis of how often he's been right and how often he's been wrong. Um, but he came out and said, yeah, uh, my sources say that SpaceX has one. And what was so fascinating was, uh, people saying, well, that this has to be a leak because, you know, it hasn't been officially announced. And then other people said, well, it can't be a leak uh, because NASA is not allowed to talk about this and the contractors aren't allowed to talk about it. So clearly it's not a leak. Clearly he's just making this up. Um And then. Obviously he was right. And, and what's really fascinating is that there was an internal memo, uh, that, that came out on the 16th. And this is reported, uh, third party from a, a reporter from The Verge, uh, Joey Roulette, who <laughs> says that, uh, this, in, this internal memo was from, uh, Lisa Watson Morgan, uh, the HLS program manager. And she said, uh, that she was very disappointed that, uh, information was leaked prior to the announcement uh, today. In the past, uh, I'm sorry that you had to find out about it that way as well. And uh, so, yeah, it, this was actually a leak. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> at least, uh, at least, or at least uh, NASA believes that it was a leak. So, mm-hmm. it, the the drama was just delicious to watch. People saying it can't be a leak, and then NASA going, "I'm sorry, it leaked." All right. So, so the drama continues today. Uh, ben Hallard is is contesting that. Eric Berger, uh, broke the story, which, which is fine. Like I'm totally willing to concede that to you. As far as the tweets go, it it looks like, uh, Christian Davenport tweeted an hour or two later. Um, we'll, we'll see how this, uh, plays out. But, uh, but Ben in the chat says, so to be clear, Eric Berger is getting credit for Christian Davenport scoop, <laughs> man. I'm telling you the, the drama in the space industry, it's behind curtains. Like it, not a lot of people talk about this drama, but it's just, it's intense, man. It, it's crazy. Some of the, some of the emotions that get involved in, you know, what, what is argued, you know, arguably one of, uh, humanity's greatest endeavors like exploring space like of, of course high emotions uh are involved it, it you know kind of sucks when things get hostile uh looking at you elon bros but you know it's you just keep in mind like when you when you see this crazy uh you know drama just keep in mind that that's the reason why we're so excited about this
2: and so while we're kind of trying to pin down you know uh eric berger and christian davenport are kind of you know neck and neck in terms of uh at least on Twitter uh uh, uh breaking the story um with Berger seemingly having tweeted it a, a couple hours before Davenport, but uh there would be uh, as as Ben Hallert points out in the in the chat there certainly would be a uh, a fun uh, bit of added drama to this if it was a reporter at Jeff Bezos's newspaper, i.e. Washington Post, which Davenport is a reporter at. Uh, that was the one to break to the story about SpaceX beating Blue Origin. So <laughs> that's good. So
1: uh, let's get into the details. Just as a reminder, there were three different factors that the contractors were being evaluated on. Factor one was technical approach, which had is this, seven subcategories, uh, areas of focus, technical design, concept development, uh, schedule and risk, verification, validation, and certification, insight, launch and mission ops, sustainability, and approach to early system demonstrations. Uh, factor two was total evaluated price, And factor three was management approach, um, which also had focus areas, uh, which were organization management, schedule management, risk reduction, commercial approach, base period performance, small business subcontracting plan, and data rights. Um, And Maybe as I've read these, um, you might be able to identify some of the, uh, appeals and failures (laughs) of the individual contractors just Ah. based on their corporate identities, but, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. So yeah, let's, let's dig right in. Starship pros and cons. Let's start with the pros.
2: So Starship, which was rated technically as acceptable, uh, among the pros were, uh, it has a hundred days in orbit. Uh, lunar orbit uh kind of loitering over uh uh artemis's goals or the hls goals of having at least 90 days capability of doing that and so um they're not the only one to have gone over that goal but that you know that's that was good
1: and so you can understand why um longer lunar loitering time is a good thing if uh, Orion, which is launching people, has issues. You get way more wiggle room that, that actually makes the loiter time more valuable than I initially would have thought. Uh, that was something that was pointed out in the in the document.
2: Uh, one thing that as you can imagine, right that they absolutely blew away the competition with would be in terms of their size, right This is something the size of a an Ariane 5 or a fully you know stacked shuttle, basically, like in terms of height. That's going to be landing on the moon. That's how big Starship is, to give you an idea of just how ridiculous this is going to be if it, if it happens. Uh, and so, as you can imagine, though, you can bring significant amounts of cargo, including no matter how bulky or awkward shaped the equipment is, uh, along with the crew when they go on rendezvous in their uh, good old uh, uh, near rectilinear halo orbit, right? The good old near The 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 return, uh, you know, is limited by Orion.
1: Yeah. So so what what that means is. Um... When they're bringing, um, samples and equipment back, they're, they're not landing in Starship. They're landing in Orion, right? So the amount of, of material you can bring back is limited by Orion's downmass capability, which is, um, abundantly exceeded by Starship's lunar up mass capability.
2: Right. So, so Starship's going to be the star at making that lunar ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. Stuff they, they, they could leave this, you know, these giant, I don't know, cranes, scientific experiments, things all over the, uh, the South Pole lunar base or whatever ends up getting made there. But that, that's a great point though, that yeah, you, you would be limited on what you could return. Well, I mean, couldn't you have, you know, Starship's just uh, autonomously returning to earth and dropping off? Yeah. And, of and I
1: don't, I I was actually thinking about this, you know, maybe, maybe uh, SpaceX would be interested in um, paying NASA for some, you know, lunar regolith or something and just saying, just leave it on the Starship. We'll, we'll bring it back later. But I don't know if the, um, if the lunar version of Starship is going to have landing capability. And, and I, I seem to remember that that wasn't uh, an option and it, I don't think it can come back uh, and land without uh refueling. So that would have to be you know pretty uh pretty intense uh, efforts to recover a vehicle that wasn't intended to do that. So like it, it if SpaceX wants lunar uh samples, I think it's probably more straightforward for them to send a fully fledged starship to go get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the interesting things about being able to bring all this cargo to the moon uh is that One of the things that they don't need to bring is a separate hab, like like habitation module. And the selection document actually calls that out. Um, They are quite happy leaving the astronauts in the starship and and not having to even consider bringing a a separate tent or anything. And and so it's kind of cool that, yeah, one of the things they won't, one of the bulky things that they won't have to take there or consider taking back is... Is, is have equipment.
0: The other big advantage that Starship has is that all the fueling would happen in low Earth orbit and would not have to happen in lunar orbit, which you would have to do with the other two spacecraft. So that's just much more technically, I guess, just, you know, a whole lot safer, um, you know, have to, to do those operations far away from Earth. But it does take quite a bit more fuel because it's such a massive vehicle. I think it's like six, like right. it has to fuel up six times. But yeah, I, I don't think the, that it can come back.
1: Yeah. So interestingly enough, David, you, you see that as a pro and so does NASA, but they actually see it as being directly tied to a con so we can talk more about that once we mm-hmm. get through the rest of the pros does that sound good
2: yep well one thing that's pretty uh, uh important for long-term sustainability right this is the whole idea is to you know again build up this whole lunar ecosystem um which you know if you think long term if, if our human landing system is going to be leaving descent stages and drop tanks every single time it tries to go to our, where we're setting things up, it's going to be a big old mess, right? And <laughs> so uh, Starship certainly uh, has, has kind of that going for it. And so that's, that's something uh, very nice about, again, that really ambitious design that they're going with, where it's just a single, you know, uh, lunar stage uh, vehicle.
0: Although how much of a concern is that really though? It's nice to not leave stuff but I mean it's a big giant empty moon.
2: I guess it depends on what you mean by an ecosystem you know what I mean? Like yeah. If, yeah. If, you know, if if we go with some of the more sci-fi kind of things that they're showing you know what I mean? Which might be you know still decades in the future um, then then that would be more of an issue because at some point you know you're going to have a certain landing location you know what I right. mean? You're going you're gonna to not want to have to move to you know not land you know kilometers away from where you actually want to go and so and you know and plus there you know, you can imagine there being a uh an environmental component to it. You know what I mean? Like we've, we've dropped stuff off, you know, on the moon since as long as we've been on, moon. that's a wonderful Wikipedia entry, just seeing all the crap that we've left behind (laughs) in different worlds. (laughs) They have a wonderful list. Wikipedia lists are just the best. Again. Yeah. If you imagine this being much more concentrated and we're doing it in only one location, as opposed to like, you know, the Apollo missions that are all over the, you know, the, the the near side of the moon, um, then, then it could actually get to be a bit more, uh, uh, messy and kind of environmentally, uh, you know, uh, a, yeah. a negative. You know.
1: Okay, so if if we step back to big, uh, big cargo capacity, Dennis, what mm-hmm. what other uh, things might count as cargo <laughs> that well, SpaceX has an abundance of?
2: The, the number of meat bags you want to stick in your <laughs> human <laughs> landing system. <laughs> you excuse <could> definitely... <laughs> me,
1: excuse me. The politically correct term is ugly bags of mostly water. I yeah. believe you'll find. <laughs>
2: As many, yeah, as many bags, <laughs> ugly bags, of mostly water. You want to stick in your system, um, right? I mean, how how many are they sticking on uh, on Dear Moon, uh, right? I I guess that kind of gives us an idea of what Starship is capable of. Is, is that something like a dozen or so?
0: Ten or a dozen, I, I want to say.
2: Ten, I'm see. Oh, eleven or so. Ten or
1: eleven. That was a much better estimate that I came up with. I was thinking, I was thinking like six or seven. Oh, I see. It's it's eight civilians and one or two crew members.
2: And then Mayazawa himself.
1: And then Mayazawa, yeah, so eleven.
2: yeah. Uh, you know, that that clearly is going uh, above and beyond the um, you know, uh what was written in the HLS uh, you know, sort of what their target was for number of crew. And so that's you know, that's always good to go above and beyond. Uh in ter- also in terms of number of EVAs capable, uh or that are possible. Um it's gonna be, you know, uh bringing so much extra propellant that any contingencies that might happen, you know what I mean? It's going to be much more flexible about dealing with that. You know, you're probably not going to end up in that kind of critical situation where, you know, we're going to be running out of fuel if we can't, you know, abort at this point. You know what I mean? They, they kind of have a lot more of a, uh, a, a window uh, that they'll be able to safely kind of abort missions at different points in their, in different
1: points in the mission. Um, so another big pro, and I can quote directly from the document for this, uh, SpaceX's proposal, quote, leverages common infrastructure and production facilities, uh, as well as commonality in subsystems and components across its different variants. Uh, so this, quote, largely obviates the need for additional redesign and development work. And then I would uh, summarize the rest of that sentence as without costing NASA extra money. <laughs> yeah. um, they like that. But, I mean, th- those are all... uh great, great things to see and especially a human, uh, human rated spacecraft, um, common infrastructure. Um, it is sort of a Apollo 13 lesson that has been drilled into us. Um, but then, um, common infrastructure, uh, uh, common production facilities. Um, and I think that's mostly, uh, Due to SpaceX's obsession with vertical integration, right? We're, we're gonna build as many of the things that we fly as possible. And that's something that NASA likes.
0: That just goes back to why I think that, again, with the whole cost issue, it's just that. It- they know that SpaceX is vertically integrated or you know as much as can be, and so that will bring the cost down and kind of keep it down, you know, and yeah, they're building variants or the predecessor right now, and they're testing it right now
1: so so that testing is actually one of the things that i I found to be pretty clear from just you know the the uh, names of their focus areas the the last technical approach focus area was approach to early system demonstrations and wow. that just screams spacex doesn't
0: it oh yeah for sure um
1: they they really really like the idea that spacex is already demonstrating uh that their technology uh well it, okay mostly they're demonstrating that it explodes right now um but you know they have their engines running and burning right now they probably have more time they they definitely have more uh flight engine time uh than either of the other two contractors well that that might not be true because uh national team's ascent engine i believe is uh off the shelf engine and i think that was actually one of one of the national team's cons or blue origins cons uh blue origins was, definitely
2: was the yeah that their
1: their ascent their ascent engine is going to be sourced uh, from commercial or you know commercially available options, and the con was that it was going to be too expensive, and Blue Origin didn't really address how they were going to fit that into the budget. And then Blue Origin's descent engines, uh, right? Aren't they going to be the the BE fours? Is that what they were going to fly?
2: No, yeah, B seven is the lunar one. Yep.
1: So uh, that engine has got the negative aspect of being. Uh, an unflown engine so it's kind of like the when they were picking engines here they picked um you know some nebulous commercially available rocket engine and then uh, sort of this nebulous sometime on the test stand i believe but no flight time engine is kind of like well it's worst of both worlds um kind of just an interesting uh contradiction or or a uh, comparison there uh, so that, that was their technical score. Their management score, however, was outstanding, which is the best ranking that they can give. And it basically means that the negative aspects are far outweighed by the positive aspects. And, and that was something that I found was really interesting. I wonder if this is somewhat coming from the fact that NASA has worked with SpaceX on, you know, like, incidents and like actually like done, um, done some investigation, like joint investigation boards.
2: I think they alluded to commercial crew and how well they've worked with SpaceX during that, you know,
1: the, the quotes that I picked out were, um, they, um, praised SpaceX for, uh, having a deep bench of personal and expertise as well as, uh, prior program management experience, And then the lessons learned from that experience. So also in the management section, NASA cited SpaceX's willingness to do self-funding and the fact that they were going that the proposal assumes, quote, financial risk for over half of the development and test activities. And like what I wrote here is this this is the this is the true honeypot, right? Mm. Especially for a a NASA 2021 NASA that has no money to speak of. (laughs) Um Really, if you have a proposal that says, yeah, you know what, we're, we're already designing this. We've already paid for a lot of it. We'll pay for even more of it. That, that really is, is going to. Um, attract nasa's attention and so while uh overall price was its own section like it's its own analysis criteria that ability to bid such a low price actually leaked over into management and that's I i don't know i i think that's kind of interesting and i i wonder if that's actually uh kosher right uh to pull those two sub sub boards together. Right. Cause they, they, they had this, uh, this board that did all this analysis and then presented it to uh, leaders and she then synthesized their advice and and wrote this document right. and like they split it. They split the board up into separate sections to talk about each of these focus area or each of these, uh, main criteria, And like, I I wonder how kosher it is that the the management board kind of went, hey, you know what?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, there's like the cost issue and then there's how you manage it. So maybe that's, you know, what the distinction is.
1: I think I think you're probably right, and, and so David, one of the things that you said earlier was uh, you said that SpaceX had a lower cost, and I think it's really interesting because they they don't have a lower cost as far as I can tell; they have a lower price. Um, I, I don't know what the actual cost of each of these vehicles is in, in comparison to one yeah, another, but
0: that's true. Um, you're right, but uh, I would say it's co- going to- cost
1: to NASA is what you meant, but I'm I'm twisting your words to make a point.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cost to NASA, and by that, I mean, like, you know, what it ends up being, like, in the end, you know, because there's whatever the numbers are right now, and then there's numbers that we don't know, but I think at the end of the day, like, if you could do three different versions of history and you did all three of these, you would find that in the end, SpaceX ended up costing the least to NASA, so.
1: Mm. Uh,
0: Undeniably. So, I guess let's talk about the cons. So, uh, first up, uh, there are significant weaknesses under launch and mission operations. Now, that's a quote, uh, and Ben, who's that quote from?
1: Le- leaders. So, launch and mission operations is one of the technical approach uh, sub factors. Um, so, I, I can continue quoting here uh, SpaceX's proposal, quote, depends upon an operations approach of unprecedented pace, scale, and synchronized movement of the vehicles in its architecture. That's
2: and saying the least.
1: <laughs> yeah, right i i can't say it any better dennis um so th- this is what what you mentioned earlier david as as a pro um and, and the way that this document approaches it is they start with the con first they say uh that refueling in earth orbit is a risk and all three of the contractors uh, require launch coordination, right? You need to launch one vehicle and then another vehicle and then another vehicle within a certain period of time to successfully complete the mission. And, and SpaceX takes that to an extreme because they they have to send so many refueling missions to tank up uh, their lunar lander, and, and that's that's a risk, right? That, mm-hmm. That's a lot of coordination that has to happen.
2: Was it half a dozen missions? I think. Yeah. I think
0: yeah,
1: so. I, that I think that's right. And, and so the the big difference between refueling. Uh, lunar starship and bringing extra fuel up for um, Dynetics Alpaca is that uh, Alpaca just gets to bolt uh, prefab tanks on, right? You have a tank, you're transferring the tank. You're not transferring the fuel. Whereas um, SpaceX is planning on doing this fairly radical technique that we've never um, done other than small demonstrations. Actual propellant transfer not you know the tanks stay where they are and the and the fuel moves um and and that's that's another risk and that's not one that's shared by either of their contractors yeah
0: but i think the difference is that that technology can't be proven out here in low earth orbit and so i think that that's what they're considering it's not so much how hard is it to do but just you know exactly where you're doing it um mm-hmm. because you know if something goes wrong at the moon then that's a much bigger problem i'm sure they could bring the crew back but uh, the point is is it right you
1: know, right that w- that would potentially fail the lander portion of the mission, but it's not putting people. But yeah, that's, that's exactly what, what, uh, what leaders said. Um, she said that by doing those, the, the analogous operation to the assembly operations that the other two contractors will have to do in lunar orbit, SpaceX is, is proposing a, a more difficult assembly task as it were, but they're front loading, Uh, All of that risk. So that definitely lightens that uh, the the risk hesitancy that that exists. Right. Right. Like NASA is much more willing to stomach a risk when it's um, something that happens very early. And it's, you know,
2: yeah. When you have when you have a like a competition like this and one of your biggest cons, you're still able to mitigate by pointing out that this is all going to be happening in LEO, which will be much more manageable and less risky than that. Definitely makes your proposals look a lot better.
1: So this is really interesting. Uh, ben in the chat gave us a, a link to an IEEE Spectrum article that'll uh, it'll go in the show notes. Ben says, so Alpaca does orbital refueling as well, but it is consistently and mysteriously given a free pass on the cryogenic orbital refueling risk uh, discussion if this Spectrum article is correct. And, and that is news to me. I didn't realize that they were planning on flying up empty propellant tanks on a Centaur, uh, on a on a Vulcan Centaur and then refueling it with two more Vulcan Centaur launches. Which I mean that that's great for Vulcan Centaur, right? That's what that's what the the new Centaur wants to do yeah. is, is to be able to do things like that. Um but I didn't realize that uh that Dynetics was planning on taking advantage of that. Oof. Okay, so yeah, there, there's another reason why Dynanix was at the bottom of the pack. I wish that was addressed in the award statement. Um, and then one final con here that I wanted to point out, they cited uh, Starship as having uh, a low technology readiness level. Actually, they didn't use the term TRN, but I, I'm applying that uh the SpaceX proposal includes quote a heavily integrated complex propulsion system that will require quote substantial maturation. Yeah, you think? <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> Not it, <one> about that.
1: <laughs> a a full-flow staged combustion uh, methalox engine. We've already seen it have some issues. Now, now, luckily enough. All those issues have apparently been triggered or compounded, uh, by the insane landing flip maneuver, which is not going to have to happen to land on the moon. Uh, no atmosphere, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a tough nut to crack and, and, huge rewards, I believe, when they do it. Maybe it might be more prudent to say if they do it. But uh, uh, the document also indicates that they have small schedule margins uh, for this maturation process to occur. And um, this is a con that's shared with Blue Origin. We already talked about their engines uh, somewhat, but uh, Blue Origin was also cited for having a a poorly ready uh, propulsion system a not very ready propulsion system.
2: Yeah, there's just I don't know. And me, you know, I'm I'm not a I'm not a propulsion engineer, but just 30 full flow stage combustion engines simultaneously firing on a single booster. That seems like a lot and I feel like the last time they tried to stick 30, maybe this is, you know, me extrapolating things wrongly, but the last time they stuck 30 engines on a single thing exactly was like n1 Mm -hmm. 30-ish i meant to say yeah it's it's 28 uh 29 i've seen 29 mentioned it's
1: it seems like it's changed a couple times i don't know if that part of the design is frozen
2: but that's on three that's three falcon nines firing kind of separately though right that's why them being on a single core
0: but um that's what you need to launch the thing but as far as the touchdown on the moon goes
2: oh sorry sorry that's that's the super heavy yeah, that's the booster. The super heavy is the thing that has me generally freaked out about Starship in general. I think Starship's awesome, but I don't know about... like. I mean, I've never said this out loud before, but like, am I the only one that thinks there's a non-zero chance that Starship might just never actually work because of the complexity to it? I, as, as in like not, you know, 1% chance, you know, of course anything's possible. I mean, I think there's like a non-negligible chance that it just might Uh, turn out to be more
1: difficult. I think maybe a better way to express the, the fear that you're talking about is that if Starship never gets off the ground, there's a high risk that it's because of the number of engines. Is that fair?
2: Yes. that's The other things I think you can just work your way around eventually, the belly flop seems to be possible, although I have no idea when you're coming in from orbital speeds. But just firing that many engines so many times and i think i might be just wrongly extrapolating again from the n1 like colin mentions you know that was the last time and that you know i mean just if you just keep having super heavies just blowing up every time because you might have some kind of k at n thing where like you know oh, you only need 27 of the 28 or 25 of the 20 whatever you know to work but like i don't know it just the plumbing's got to be so ridiculously expensive like or not expensive complicated that as a, again a non-propulsion engineer <laughs> i i just might be uh projecting yeah, my own fears uh i don't
1: i don't think the plumbing is particularly bad i think they just have um like nine inlets or something and each inlet feeds multiple engines so it's not like you have you know like a t-bar that's just got a gazillion uh um, <laughs> engines attached to it it's raining through yeah but you know yeah it's 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 interesting because like just like from a gut level, I don't know how to evaluate this risk because on the one hand, yeah, you get a lot of redundancy, but on the other hand, you got to get a lot of things right all at once. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really interesting. That's
2: the double-edged sword of the right. When you add more engines, there's definitely a higher chance that an engine is going to go out, but you then have the capability, though a higher you know probability of being able to still make it to orbit with engines out, and so. There's the math going on there. You need to you need to you need to run the numbers,
1: I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a problem that needs math and not gut instinct.
0: And they're definitely gonna to have to make a lot of progress, right? Because just with the starship tests that they've been doing, they've had engine problems and so getting twenty-seven of them to ignite all at once or twenty-eight or whatever. Yeah. I mean I see where you're coming from actually, but I don't know, I think that it's doable because it's not so much more like you said, you know, it's not it's not more complex. It's just more probable you know what i mean that's the difference so you just have to get this it's the probability of an engine going out down and then you're good to go so, you know the, the plumbing isn't that much more complicated because they are still 28 separate engines they're not like all tied in necessarily i mean kind of some of them might be with each other you know like if they're adjacent i guess but you know it's it's just it's just brute force it's not a It's not so much more complex. It's just that there's more of them. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of why I think that it's not that difficult. I mean, it is, but, you know.
2: Yeah, no, I see that. And I think, like, yeah, I I kind of wrote in the chat there. I'm I'm hoping that once we start seeing boosters, I mean, we already saw one just built to kind of just check it out structurally, right? But once once they start firing, once you start putting engines on these, then hopefully I'll stop being so concerned about it.
0: But um. <laughs> one final thing, actually, and, and, um, or near final thing, I guess, this also came as a surprise to me. one thing that I didn't know, but now kind of makes me, you know, puts me a little bit more in favor of SpaceX yeah. is that I had no idea that Dynetics, um, had a huge mass issue, or in fact, what's called negative mass, which is to say, uh, you know, they couldn't even make it to the moon in the first place because they were carrying more mass than they could launch. And so that's a huge concern. And what's even worse is that they already have concerns of having to increase or, you know, like step up. The mass, which is always going to happen with any, I feel like, any kind of a vehicle. I mean, that's going to happen yeah. you, with You need, you know, mo- space you need with mass development. You add
2: mass, typically. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's pretty much a guarantee, really. So the fact that they're going to have to add mass at some point and that they're already in the red, that does not bode well. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so, so I didn't know about this. I, I don't know if you did.
1: No, I don't think anybody did. And yeah, David, I, I really like the way that you put that because really, I just, I love uh, the Dianetics proposal, like just something about it hits me at an emotional level. Uh, and it it seems really cool. Like they're, they're sort of the underdog and they've got a really funky looking vehicle that can do some kind of crazy things. And like, it's got some unique advantages and it flies to orbit sideways. Like it's, (laughs) it's just, you know, it's, it's the, um, it's the, the runt of the litter that you want to love. Um, you just, you can't help, but yeah, they, we, we talked about how both blue origin and dynetics both had proposals that were unacceptable in their original form. And this was one of the things that made, uh, Dynetics's uh, proposal ineligible for selection. Um, and it, it's not, it's not like something that they could fix. Like blue origin can change their funding requests, but you, the way that, that uh, a BAA is set up, you can't go and change your actual proposal. And like, having a negative mass margin is just insane. Like I blue origin was cited over and over for just submitting a bad proposal. Like they did some really hand wavy kind of stuff like, Oh, this is a good thing because of this idea. And that's mm-hmm. a good thing because of that idea. And, and, uh, leaders really kind of tore them apart for it. Yeah, but those, like,
2: those were funny. <laughs> <She> yeah. Would... <laughs> right.
1: yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's just not understanding how to write a proposal in, in my opinion. I, not that I, I have any insight, but like that's, it just felt like
2: we're trying to sneak one past the goalie and hoping they don't notice. Oh
1: uh, boy. <laughs> that's, that's uncharitable. Uh, and I was trying to be charitable. Um, <laughs> but I, I do not disagree with you one bit. Um, and, and so like, that's, that's kind of forgivable, right? Like, it's interesting because, like, one of the other things that Blue Origin was dinged for was their uh, data rights. And, and, like, Blue Origin's proposal from, you know, from this analysis that we can read because we can't access the original proposal, like, it sounds very Amazon. Like, we'll give you the data maybe if we <laughs> feel like it and we're going to write these uh, convoluted service agreement terms that don't make it clear what what nasa is actually going to own and uh leaders was actually like This is going to lead to disputes because we want X and they're saying, we'll give you something in the second half of the alphabet. And it's just, it's funny to see Amazon really show through (laughs) in my (laughs) reading of this proposal. Like this is totally a personal opinion, but then the, the corporate character that we get off of, um, Dynetics proposal Uh, kind of belies this young, like like a young company that really tried their best, but ultimately, you know, didn't have the technical chops to to pull off their idea, I don't know. Like th- this could totally be way off base, but that's kind of how this feels to me.
0: So I'm just wondering how it how it ever got as far as it did. If this was mm-hmm. an issue, because this is a big one. So yeah, you know, like I don't understand like how long was this known? They had to have known before they ever made the proposal, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah. So you're you're talking about how long was this known within Dynetics that they weren't right. going to have a negative? Yeah, that's and, and like how did they see a negative mass margin coming? as they're designing this and they still went, yeah, we better, we'll just submit it anyway, you know, it never hurts. Like that's kind yeah. of what it feels like, doesn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Kind
2: of. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I imagine their proposal kind of argued that they'd be able to, you know, work it out, right? I no, mean, it, it
1: didn't. Was- it, it offered no, no conclusions on how they were going to fix it. Now, maybe they had good uh-huh. ideas on the inside and it just didn't make it to the writing team. I don't know, but like, oof. Or
2: Dynetics recognizes and has been actively addressing this issue during its base performance. There's a difference between, yeah. So, so what they did was they didn't provide sufficient details. So it's the same way. Like again, that, 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 that goalie reference I made with. Blue Origin. Dynex tried to sneak this one past her. Yeah, this is a problem, but we're still working mm-hmm. on it. You know what I mean? We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to figure it out. Don't you worry. It's A-OK. And that's the kind of thing that a proposal reviewer sees and is just like, well, I can read between the lines and recognize mm-hmm. that this is probably a serious developmental issue that they've kind of, they might have boxed themselves into some co- kind of corner or something and they, you know, they're dealing with this, you know, negative mass allocation, which is just, you know, the kiss of death for, you know, mm-hmm. a mission like this. Because it,
1: it kind of feels like, you know, you have a, a page requirement for a paper in college, or maybe <laughs> in high school. And so, you know, you're not getting up to the word count that you needed. So, um, you, at the end you put a, a a couple of gibberish words and and change the font color to white so that when they <laughs> when your professor or your teacher does a uh, the word count in in Microsoft Word like it it comes up and hits the hits the number but it's not actually and it, th- this really just feels <laughs> like you're like your teacher going but this is point or this is font size 12 and i asked for font size 10 like you know it's it's yeah it really feels like they they got caught Boy, poor alpaca, man! I, I, dang it! I really wanted this to work, what and it, and it, it's not like it's, it's almost worse. Like I can't just be disappointed that my favorite didn't get picked, but you know, there's always option B, and maybe we'll be able to afford an option B, and maybe it'll be Dynetics and not the national team. But it really like it was not gonna happen from the beginning. It just wasn't gonna happen.
2: Yeah, it's yep. a bummer. We 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 backed the wrong horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, now now
1: alpaca becomes this this uh space nerd footnote. It, it's gonna be one of those things that a YouTuber in or you know, whatever the next version of YouTube is, maybe TikTok will take over. Mm-hmm. Uh and, you know, somebody would be like, Hey, check out this cool concept uh that, the 20s you know, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah right uh, kind of kind of weird to see history being made in in that way like'm I'm, I'm not used to there haven't been that many of those kind of things that I've gotten really excited about that that wound up being a dud
2: but I do, I do like the that you, you pointing out though that you know this this isn't the end right that you know um this is the decision that had to be made at this point here uh they announced it a little early I guess because you know the writing was on the wall or they had already made a decision or they were trying to uh, get as much in front of this leak as they could Mm -hmm. I think they were originally supposed to announce it at the end of the month and then suddenly there was like calls for a press conference coming in like a day or two
0: because the press conference was on a Friday right now is that that's not Mm. don't they usually do them I actually don't know isn't it usually on Mondays when you do press conferences like that or is this normal
2: yeah you, you wouldn't want to do a press conference on Friday at the end of the week unless you didn't want people to listen to your press conference right you know what I mean that's yeah that's the time you bury stuff and this isn't something you'd want to bury this is you know a big exciting announcement you know who's going to take you know the next woman and the first person of color and the next people back to the moon you know and this is something you'd want all this pump and pizzazz and instead you wound up having to kind of get it out there kind of you know rush it out there again probably because of these leaks but it's not the end they're you know hopefully they'll be able to like you were saying ben get some uh you know some money together for uh, an option b at some point in the future um whether or not that means blue origins still has a chance uh dynetics does this herculean task of kind of overcoming all the deficiencies of their proposal so far uh maybe vivace suddenly comes rushing back in (laughs) gets becomes the option b i don't know
1: (laughs) well you know it it's it's not out of the question that there will be an option b selection uh it sounds like uh the biden administration is pushing is looking for a bigger budget for nasa next year but who knows
0: Let's do the three short suites this week. What is the first one, Ben?
1: Pam Melroy has been nominated as Deputy Administrator of NASA. Acting NASA Administrator Steve Jurczyk announced on Friday that President Biden intended to nominate Colonel Pamela Melroy to serve as the agency's Deputy Director. Melroy has accumulated a number of accolades over her career, including two decades in the Air Force, over 38 days in space as a space shuttle commander and leadership positions at Lockheed Martin, the FAA, DARPA and elsewhere. She will now need to be confirmed by the Senate before she can assume the position and begin working alongside Bill Nelson, pending his own confirmation next week for the administrator
2: position. Next up, NASA's InSight to hibernate for the winter. Dust accumulation on the InSight mission has required the lander to conserve its batteries. Its location in Elysium Planitia has been lacking windsleep. And without the gusts of winds termed cleaning events to blow the dust off the panels, solar energy input has been limited. Currently receiving 27% of its normal charge, InSight has been turning off instruments to conserve power and will soon go into hibernation mode. Still in good condition, NASA plans to wait until winter passes, with science operations resuming once solar intensity increases.
0: And then finally, New Shepard flies again. So Blue Origin successfully carried out its 15th suborbital test flight of its New Shepard launch vehicle. This operation was on crewed as previous missions have been, but before liftoff, Blue Origin employees serving as stand-in astronauts were secured into the vehicle for testing pre-flight operations. For launch, the crew disembarked, and the human analog mannequin Skywalker was put in their place. And after a successful touchdown of the New Shepard, the stand-in crew were driven back to the landing site and strapped back into their seats to carry out post-flight operations. And there is still no date set for crew launch, nor have ticket prices been disclosed. So they're getting closer, but still no date or Ticket prices. So this is something that I really want to see them actually do because they can. It's the one thing that Blue Origin, (laughs) you know, which I mean, like, luckily they didn't. um, They they were not successful. Uh, with HLS, but I want them to succeed here. So put some actual humans in there already. That would be cool. Seriously. So let's do this week in spaceflight history. Um, the clue was reduce, reuse, recycle. And we have no winners once again for since the last time this happened. I think it was for a similar reason. So Ben, you want to tell us uh, what that reason might be?
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I I grabbed from a week early. Maybe even two weeks early, I don't know i like it's it's depressing, I'm sorry, guys,
0: <laughs> yeah, so so this one is two weeks ago in space flight history
1: yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry and and so uh uh to add insult to injury, I was not able to find any of the answers to the questions that i had about this so like this is like lackluster on top of lackluster and uh, i i'm sorry i did a bad job (laughs) all right so this week in spaceflight history oh geez two weeks ago in spaceflight history is the 4th of april 1997 and it's it's actually a pretty cool event it's uh, sts 38 getting aborted on orbit and, like, I, I love when things go wrong because that's when we really learn how things work, right? SDS 83 had um, three facilities on board that uh, were hosting different types of experiments. There was uh, the large isothermal furnace, um, which is exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. Um, they did some cool experiments like uh, diffusion of alloys and uh, metals. Um, so, like, you know, liquid liquid metals diffusing into each other, right? Furnace. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And and that wasn't the only, uh, oh, and there was also a uh, sintering experiment, which is cool because it's like manufacturing in space. Uh, That wasn't the only very hot thing uh, on STS-83. There was also uh, the DCE, the Droplet Combustion Experiment, which is exactly what you think it would be, uh, kind of a a precursor to... um, What's the one that flies on uh, on Cygnus? It's called uh, Sapphire? Oh, yeah. The Sapphire one. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so uh, although I guess a, a droplet combustion experiment is probably more like the uh, droplet combustion experiment uh, that's uh, on ISS. Um, and so, like I said, I already spoiled it by saying that there was an abort, right? Not, not a spoil, but I, <laughs> I already let the cat out of the bag. There was, there was an abort and, uh, DCE was actually one of the only experiments that actually returned data. They were able to run those experiments, uh, before they landed. Uh, and so there's actually a paper from, uh, Princeton talking about the, the data that they were able to get back. That'll be in the show notes. There was a facility called Tempest, the electromagnetic containerless processing facility. Very cool. Uh, there was an express rack, which uh, we've seen a, a number of times now. And then uh, on board, um, there was a the the mid deck glove box MGBX. Is a, a sort of an experiment facility, and that had a number of uh, uh, of different experiments, including one that I think has a really interesting name. Uh, it's Buddend. It looks like Bond, but it, it stands for Bubble and Drop Nonlinear Dynamics. Mm. Just a, bu- a bunch of cool uh, physics experiments, uh, f- physics and chemistry experiments uh, on this mission. So the the problem, and I I have so many questions about. About how this happened and and why it happened, and I just I couldn't find very much at all. uh, Just in in terms of of like actual explanations of uh, the details, but basically um, there there are three fuel cells on board, right, Uh, on board shuttle, um, and they take hydrogen and oxygen and burn them into carbon dioxide or burn them into into water. If you've got carbon dioxide coming out of one of these fuel cells, you're having a bad day. Um, but they, they burn them into water. And it's actually uh, potable water. Um, they, they can actually drink it. Um, so prior to the launch uh, actually happening, they were showing issues in fuel cell two. And basically, it, it was burning hotter than it should have. I don't think the temperatures gave it away. I think it was the voltage levels that that gave it away. And so they did some pre-flight troubleshooting and they thought they had it fixed. And one of the things that really kind of confuses me is like, this is something that you shouldn't think you have fixed. You should know you have this fixed, <laughs> right? Because what what happens is if you're generating more electricity uh, in your fuel cells than you should be, that means you basically have a bomb getting ready uh, to form, right? Like that. that's... That's what happens when you mix oxygen and hydrogen is you get a bomb. So anyway, they they thought that they had the issue fixed. Once they launched, they actually started seeing the issue reoccurring. And once they got to orbit, it actually got worse and worse. So the first thing they did was purge the cell. And I'm assuming that means that they cut off the fuel and oxidizer supply and just open the thing up and clear out everything that's inside it and then kind of restart the cell. But I I don't know, because I wasn't able to find that answer. Uh, I told you this was going to be a bad segment. Uh, so they, they purged it. It didn't work. So they actually purged it um, one or two times after that. And then they did unknown additional troubleshooting steps. This this has really frustrated me. I just couldn't figure any of this out. And they still couldn't uh, resolve the issue. And so since they, they weren't able to fix the issue, um, they had to shut down the cell, just take it out of commission, um, not just shut it down temporarily to work an issue. They had to write it off. That write-off follows a mission rule. And then another mission rule follows hot on the heels, which says that you've got three uh, fuel cells and you need triple redundancy to sh- safely fly shuttle. So once they went down to single redundancy, oh, I guess I'd be double redundancy, right? Once they went down to single redundancy, mission rules say, you've got to call the mission off, land at the next opportunity. And that's indeed what they did. They scrubbed the mission. Just just losing one fuel cell does that. It's It's a... Really tight requirement, mm-hmm. really demanding. And Greg Lantiris, the uh, one of the payload specialists, said that this was like a harrowing experience. He said it was a practice in in crisis management, and he said that uh, the main bus alarm was going off continually through the mission, uh, mm. which really sucks. When the reason the main bus uh, alert is going off uh, is because you've got a potential bomb in your in your cargo hold. Not not good. Interestingly enough, uh, one of our absolute favorites on the show, Chris Hadfield was Capcom for this mission. And Mm -hmm. I found a really nice quote from him. He said, uh, that this is why we have mission rules. We don't make these, these policies up on the fly. We decide on them ahead of time. And he said, uh, in real time, the temptation to take a chance, is always higher. And that echoes my personal life experience quite closely. That, that makes me feel good that he said that. So one of the really fascinating things about all this is that STS-83 was scrubbed, but then it was immediately reflown as STS-94. And, and it, by immediate, I don't necessarily mean by calendar days, because... Uh, um, 94 reflew on July 1st, which, I mean, that that is a pretty short interval, going from April 4th uh, to July 1st. That is really short. But what's even more astounding is that procedurally, this was immediate. They decided to curtail their normal post-flight processing. Instead of unloading everything and going through and making sure everything's okay and like doing all this work, basically they replaced the consumables, which. You know, makes sense if you've got liquid oxidizer, but you know they also replaced the the hypergolics in the Ohms pods. You know, all, all the hypergolic systems. But they they replaced the consumables. They replaced all of the main engines, um, which you don't get a, a choice about. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they also updated the patch. They uh, put the new mission number on it. They gave it a new border color. And then that, as far as I can tell, that's all they did. Um, they it sounds like they left everything in the, um, in the cargo bay. They might've even just hooked up their uh, air conditioning system and just left it. Like, I don't, I don't know how much they actually, uh, even looked into the cargo bay, but they, they reflew everything, the same vehicle, the same payloads and the same crew. Just let's turn around and go for it. And so that's where reduce reuse cycle, the clue came from, uh, Boy, if this isn't a reduction in uh, in what resources, <laughs> I guess, if, you, if this doesn't reduce resources and reuse and recycle this mission, like, that's that's about as close as it gets for shuttle
0: anyway. Okay, well, I mean, that, that's a good clue, and I think that people would have gotten it had the date been... <laughs>
1: well, thank you. Thank you. That that makes me feel better. Oh, yeah, Colin, <laughs> Colin says that they replaced the fuel cell.
2: I got no idea. I couldn't find any answers to my questions. That is such a cool event, though. Like... Such a yeah. weird thing to just go and refly the same not not even like the same like pair of people, which would be pretty neat. You know what I mean? Like the same mission specialists. Missions. We're talking right, about the yeah. same seven people. You know what I mean? Like the whole crew. You know, they got the whole gang back together.
1: Well, there you go. That's this week in Space Fight History. I wish I could have learned more this week. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll have to come and revisit this at some point. I don't I don't know, it has its own segment or something. Maybe, I, maybe if I put more time into it, I can answer more questions. I do
2: a data relay anyone wants to volunteer.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you know more about this than I do, uh, absolutely, let's, let's set up a data relay. And that is This Week in Spaceflight History.
0: Cool. All right. Well, then, next week, the date range uh, is the 27th of April through the 3rd of May. And Dennis, do you have a clue for us?
2: I do. Next week in 1999, if a spacecraft takes data but can't transmit it back to Earth. Does it make a science?
0: I love that clue. and Thank you. <laughs> it, and it's a good question. I honestly don't know.
2: We'll reveal the event, and then we'll talk about the philosophy behind it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Does it make a science? <laughs> yep. All right. Well, I don't know if it makes a science. I don't know, and I don't know what the event is. But if you think you know, give us a tweet with the hashtag this week, SF and good luck. Luck, everybody. So let's move on to upcoming spaceflight events. Dennis, you got the first one. We got—then we have five others after that, so quite a few this week.
2: Yeah, very exciting. Uh, There has been a— DFR, uh released, and so keep an eye out for a potential Starship super, uh, Serial Number 15 flight. And so this would be from the 20th of April at 1200 UTC to the 21st of April at 0100 UTC. And so again, we might see uh, SN15 try to make it to 10 kilometers and hopefully stick the landing this time without a conflagration either upon landing <laughs> or shortly afterwards. And uh, thank you, Ben, uh, in the chat for uh, uh, giving us the heads up on this.
1: And After that, we have a very exciting mission. This is Crew 2.
2: Yay! Mm -hmm.
1: All right. So this is happening on Thursday, April 22nd at 10.11 UTC. So uh, Falcon 9 Block 5 with a... Crew Dragon on top. Four people inside. Like, how cool is it that we can fly four people to space at once uh, <laughs> without shuttle, I guess. On board will be Shane Kimbra, Megan MacArthur, JAXA astronaut Akihiko Hoshide, and ESA astronaut Thomas Pesquet. So lots of familiar names.
0: And then once they have launched, obviously, on the 23rd, the following day, you can watch coverage of Crew 2. Of course, you can watch on NASA TV or you can watch on YouTube. The docking coverage begins at 5.30 in the morning, um, and that's Eastern Daylight Time, uh, so no UTC there. Um, and then a couple hours later, at 7.35, that will be the hatch opening. And then at 8.05 is the welcoming ceremony. So, um, yeah, that's always fun to watch, kind of early. But, I mean, you can always rewatch it on YouTube, which is what I tend mm-hmm. to do. So yeah. I totally recommend doing that.
1: And, like, if you're going to watch it live... Usually it's better to just go to NASA TV's YouTube channel anyway. It's more reliable than their Ustream or whatever is embedded on their page.
2: And then up next, on April 25th, we have uh, Soyuz, which will be taking uh, OneWeb6 uh, to orbit. And so OneWeb6, uh, which, remember, is... Uh, Going to be worse than Starlink, as proposed, uh, in terms of uh, (laughs) trying to offer satellite internet to people, but then ruining the Vera Rubin Observatory. And uh, the Soyuz uh, 2.1B rocket will be using a frigate upper stage, and the launch will be at 2214 UTC, uh, launching from Vasochny Cosmodrome in Russia. Yeah, that's pretty cool.
1: After that is a Delta IV Heavy got to love the delta 4 heavy flying enroll 82 and so we have lots of information on enroll 82 no i'm just kidding we know nothing because it's an enroll payload uh, but that's okay delta 4 heavy is is fantastic to watch um, that it's actually got a a fairly wide Launch window. So that's happening on Monday, April 26th. The window opens at 1939 hours UTC and closes 2257 hours UTC. So that's, that's a nice long window there. And, uh, that's flying out of Vandenberg. So what's better than a Delta IV heavy launch, but a Delta IV heavy launch at Vandenberg? Yeah. Cause it's cool.
2: Mm-hmm. I like it. And it's one of the last few left, right?
1: Yeah. After this one, I think there's, one or two more?
2: Yeah, there's three after this.
0: So after that, on April the 27th slash 28th, we have a Vega launch, and that is launching Pleiades Neo 3, and that will be at 0, 0150 GMT, or UTC, rather. And that looks to be an instantaneous launch window. I don't see a window there. Yeah, I
1: agree. It's instantaneous.
0: But yeah, that'll be at 9.50 p.m. on the East Coast. And so, yeah, that's a Vega rocket. And Pleiades Neo 3, that is an Earth observation satellite for Airbus and it is the first of four, apparently. So this will be taking high-resolution images of the Earth. Very cool. And the Vega rocket will also be carrying up multiple ride shares, so lots of other smaller satellites mm. as well. So, yep, check that one out.
1: Yeah, Pleiades is going to be a cool constellation. It's got a resolution of 30 centimeters.
2: And then finally, we have uh, on April 28th, a Falcon 9 that'll be taking a Starlink uh, version 1.0. This will be Starlink 24, or the 25th batch overall. And so while these aren't one web. They'll be uh, ruining the Vera Rubin Observatory as well as uh, terrestrial, uh, optical, and radio astronomy as designed, but we'll be providing internet connectivity for folks. And the launch uh, is at 0405 UTC uh, flying out of Slick 40. And so we've seen these happen. They're pretty uh, routine, but they're pretty fun to watch So
1: Yeah, especially now that we're uh, getting deployment video on, on occasion mm.
0: alright those are your upcoming Space Flight events and with that it's time to deal with the show and so we would like to thank Ronald Jenkins and Tim Dodd for our music we record live on
2: Sundays at 9am Pacific 12pm Eastern thank you so much to our $5 Patreon supporters for joining our recording sessions and helping us make correction burns on the fly
1: if you want to support the show as well please leave us a review wherever you listen or visit the support for our Patreon campaign affiliate links and other resources
0: for more information on the episode, such as show notes and other links visit our website at theorbitalmechanics.com and be sure to check out our store for mission patches t-shirts and hoodies
2: you can join our discord for free during social distancing check our twitter or reddit for links we're orbital podcasts on both and you can talk directly to us by emailing info at theorbitalmechanics.com
0: so we will see you all next week on orbit until then later goodbye everybody see you <laughs>